This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist and I've been working and living in Fayetteville, Arkansas since 1993. I began this podcast in 2016 in order to reach really three groups. Those of you who are quite comfortable with emotional and psychological issues, maybe you're already in therapy and you're wanting to learn more from perhaps another perspective. To those of you who've just been diagnosed with depression or anxiety or an eating disorder or PTSD or whatever you could be struggling with maybe relationship issue that you just find puzzling. So you're looking for answers. But then there's a third group. Those of you who might never darken the door of a therapist or certainly don't think you would, but are curious enough or perhaps anxious enough to look for some answers yourself. Welcome to all three of you, or as one listener told me one time, those of you who can't afford therapy. (laughs) Now, this isn't therapy. This is a therapeutic podcast, but I still hope it's helpful to you. Today we're going to talk about staying busy, not the welcome kind of busyness where you're actually doing things you love that bring you fulfillment, but the kind of busyness that basically serves as filler in your life. You couldn't tell me why you're doing it or how you got started other than to say that you're kind of scared to stop because you fear a loss of control. You're nervous about leaving any space in your day where you become quiet. You can't imagine meditating or doing a mindfulness exercise where you focus inward. So today in an episode sponsored by BetterHelp, I'm talking about busyness that's all about staying in control. It's definitely tied into the entire presentation of Perfectly Hidden Depression and so belongs in those episodes about PhD already featured here. If you've not listened to any of them, the first two are extremely early, episodes 03 and 04, and then they're generally interspersed throughout. Talking about traits of Perfectly Hidden Depression and what you can do about it has become a passion of mine. And I'm thrilled to announce that I just found out today that actually the book Perfectly Hidden Depression is doing very well in foreign markets. Some of the companies that have bought it are based in Russia, Turkey, Korea, and others. Our listener email for today is from someone who heavily identifies with Perfectly Hidden Depression, but also is struggling with a highly dangerous eating disorder. So you can hear my advice to her. So sit back and relax. Maybe not try to be quite so busy. And we'll talk about filler versus fulfillment. client, let's call her Marianne, asked me the other day, now she's someone who identifies with perfectly hidden depression, how would she know if she was actually doing something meaningful for her that wouldn't add one more thing to her plate, but would be a step towards self-awareness and growth? She laughed as she said it at first, and then allowed a shadow of sadness to appear as she recognized the level of her own confusion about what truly brought meaning to her life. Marianne, like so many others who identified with perfectly hidden depression, constantly focuses on the expectations and desires of others, as well as overcrowds her schedule with a focus on task accomplishment rather than simple enjoyment. As I began wondering with her what might be an exception to that, what might be something that would add a true sense of fulfillment to her life, she asked me quite poignantly, how do I know that I'm not simply filling up my life with one more thing to do? The pain of what she'd laid out couldn't be missed. 
She didn't have a clue how to discern whether or not something actually brought her fulfillment or was filler to act as a shield against what happened if her mind became more quiet and memories and emotions that she wanted to avoid or deny might seep into her awareness. And she questioned, I've always wanted to learn another language, but is that really the next thing I decide to do that's a way to avoid my feelings? The question is a good one. What brings true fulfillment and what stands in as a defense against feeling or a way of staying in control of emotions long suppressed? This whole idea certainly ties in with what I'm hearing from people who are reading my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression. So then I ask, how do you experience the exercises? I think they're pretty hard. Oh, well, um, I, I didn't do those, I hear. Or, uh, I only did a couple. Or, I couldn't even do the first one. Or, I wanted to get a clear mental picture of what PhD is, and then I planned to go back and do the exercises. I guess I'd counted on perfectionism reigning supreme and the perfectionist reader needing to do the book perfectly so the exercises would be completed. There are over 60 of them, so I knew it would take time. But I was wrong, obviously, especially in a lot of cases. It would appear that as long as the reader could stay in their heads, all was well. And hopefully a few intellectual light bulbs would go on. But to risk feeling, that wasn't going to happen. And actually, I get it. I could have predicted it. But that's a huge part of the problem, avoidance of any vulnerability. I had a great conversation this morning with a woman whose son tragically died by suicide several years ago, and we've stayed in touch. We were talking about how so many perfection-seeking teenagers are searching for the criteria that the best schools, the schools with the most status. What criteria are these schools using to evaluate potential attendees? Let's say the school mostly accepts kids with an ACT of 34, And instead of saying, hmm, I made a good ACT score, but not that high, what do they do? Instead of accepting that there are really other great schools where their scores would be more than enough, they have to test again and again and again. They're obsessed with meeting the criteria only that school will do. So the whole process of looking for colleges becomes a focus on a number on a test or how many nonprofits they've volunteered for or how many roles they've played in their schools, all numbers and external signs of success rather than anything that might fit their actual skill set as they are now, where they could be in an environment where they could be more relaxed or maybe consider a particular school that offered a program that would be especially fulfilling for them, a a college that's not known nationally but offers a great art, or an architectural program, maybe a junior college close by that's known for how it matches its graduates with jobs after graduation. You have to wonder where they learned this preoccupation with looking so successful to others when that effort only brings with it high anxiety and daunting pressure. Where did they learn that it's more important to fill up their life with things that will meet other people's expectations instead of listening in on what might be better for them as an individual? Obviously, the whole college admissions scandal here in the U.S. with wealthy people, some celebrities, lying about their child playing a sport or some kind of lie that will get them into the desired school. What kind of message does that send to the kid? You're not okay as you. We have to lie about you so that you can be happy or fulfilled, or probably so that I can say my kid is going to some school. We have to make you look better than you are because who you are isn't special or perfect enough. Ah, It's a horrible message. If I want to be kind, perhaps it was unintentional, but I can only imagine what those kids are going through. 
Next, we're going to talk about six things that you can think about or try to address about how you can begin to get rid of the filler in your life and create more fulfillment, at least where it's possible. But first, here's a great offer from BetterHelp. I was delighted when BetterHelp reached out to me as a potential sponsor. What exactly is BetterHelp? BetterHelp is an online therapy service that will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not really self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. I also tried this out, of course, for my self-work listeners, and I was very impressed with the two counselors I tried. There's a broad range of expertise, and you're actually matched to the therapist that they believe will work best for you. You can have video sessions, phone sessions, you can text, and actually it's much less expensive than quote-unquote normal therapy. And BetterHelp is rated number one by so many platforms that specialize in trying to help you find the best therapy online for you. There's a special offer for self-work listeners where you get 10% off your first month at trybetterhelp.com slash self-work. That's trybetterhelp, that's H-E-L-P dot com slash self-work. You can begin getting help today, and I highly recommend it. So give it a try. So what do you do if you're one of those people who fills up your life with things that keep you busy and in control, yet you don't know the difference anymore between what brings you fulfillment and what simply keeps you busy? Like Marianne, you're confused. First off, maybe you struggle with the motivation to even do that. You want to realize that you may be one of those parents who are inadvertently modeling perfectionism for your kids, fear of feeling emotions. This kind of change is very hard. So if you have to fill up the silence with busyness, you're teaching them the same thing. I've heard before from many patients things like, my dad was always saying that there's always something you should be doing. Now, I'm certainly not advocating a purposeless existence, nor do I think that everything we do needs to be fulfilling or is fulfilling. Sometimes things are boring, they're drudgery, they're things you have to do. Sometimes busyness is about keeping food on the table because you're working two jobs to make ends meet. That's not the kind of busyness I'm referring to. That's hard work. That's determination. It's when busyness becomes about staying in control and avoiding emotion that it's a problem. So you need to have a conversation with yourself, a very frank conversation about whether or not you fill up your own life with just being busy and your kids are learning from you. That can be a strong motivation to change. The next step is to grieve about how staying busy became so important. Figure out where you learned that behavior for yourself. What purpose did staying busy have in your own life? Maybe it kept you away from an abusive or neglectful or alcoholic home. Maybe being highly accomplished was the only way you got any attention at all. Maybe you kept accomplishing, hoping that one day you'd hear, I'm so proud of you. Maybe it then and now is a way for you, again like Marianne, to not leave enough space in your own mind and heart for sadness or anger to be allowed in. It's a way of remaining in control. So you have to grieve the reason it exists in the first place and have compassion for the you that had to create that kind of life. Next, I want you to journal about your beliefs about feeling sad or allowing sadness to emerge. Write this out. Quote, if I feel sad, I'll 
and then leave a blank. How would you fill in that blank? If I feel sad, I'll never stop. If I feel sad, I'll have a breakdown. I'll look vulnerable. I'll feel silly. I'll not know what to do with it. I'll not look strong. I'll not be grateful enough. There could be a myriad of answers. You can do the same exercise with anger or fear or disappointment. If I feel anger, I'll blank. If I feel disappointed, I'll blank. You have beliefs about emotions. And those beliefs are telling you that being crazy busy is far better than allowing emotion in. When you write down those beliefs, then you can take a hard look at those beliefs and wonder to yourself, do I want to continue to believe this? Do I want to live a life that's really devoid of any kind of emotion that may be a little bit dark or a little bit difficult to feel? That leaves me so one-sided. Even Marianne asked me in this same session, she said, but why would I want to feel sad? And my answer was, because when you cut off the harder feelings, you also cut off the more joyful ones. You restrict both ends of the spectrum. So your life becomes much more mundane, much more task-oriented, much less emotion-filled and meaningful. The fourth step is for us to discuss briefly what fulfillment means to you. What is feeling fulfilled? When I looked up the actual meaning of the word, sure enough, the word achievement was prominent in the definition. In fact, the definition of fulfillment is the achievement is something desired, promised, or predicted, like John fulfilled his dreams. I have to admit not being too pleased with that. (laughs) Maybe if that's what's believed, then achievement will stay in the forefront of people's minds. But when I put the word personal in front of fulfillment, defining personal fulfillment, all of a sudden happiness and purpose entered the picture. What's the definition of personal fulfillment? It's, again, achievement, but achievement of life goals which are important to an individual in contrast to the goals of society, family, or other collective obligations. Yes, there's that word achievement again, but at least it mentions goals that are about that unique person, not the expectations of others. So what you can do is write down the things you believe are filler in your life that have nothing to do with fulfillment, that just fill your life up, fill the time up, fill in the gaps, and those things that are in your life that bring you fulfillment. You can see the difference in those lists. You can feel the difference in those lists. And then you can begin to plan how you would ease out of some of those fillers, How you begin to say, no, I just don't think I want that anymore. You know, if anything, I've been hearing that the pandemic and the resultant quarantine has helped people realize some of the things that they structured their lives around that have very little to do with fulfillment or happiness. They've simply not missed those things that they had believed were so important. Rather, what you've been unhappy about missing is what you did find personally fulfilling, whether that was church or playing on or following a team or concerts that you attended or creativity that you shared or family or friends or being with people. Maybe you've missed parts of your job. Maybe you've missed being supportive of other people's efforts. Whatever you've missed says a lot about who you are. So what are you going to do now? Are you going to go back to filler activities Or can you take this opportunity to create a different set of choices? Make a list of what I don't miss and what I do, from little things to bigger ones. And I bet those lists are going to be very similar 
to your previous list about what was filler and what brought you actual fulfillment. I know you're going to have a lot of lists, but (laughs) I believe it's very important to write things down because when you see them in black and white, they become so much more real to you. It gives you so much more understanding of what makes you tick. The last thing I want to talk about is a litmus test for something being fulfilling or filler. Sometimes you may be confused about that. Well, I'll use an example from my own life. While I was trying to find a publisher for the book Perfectly Hidden Depression, a few quite large publishing houses were interested. I was over the moon. That is, until someone brought up the subject of my platform. A platform is basically how many people could I reach all by myself without the help of the publisher. Gone are the days when a publishing house is going to spend money on a marketing campaign to sell books other than with New York Times bestsellers. Authors have to have their own established large platforms before a book by an unpublished and largely unknown psychologist like myself would even be considered. When I heard this about a platform, part of me, that part that wanted the message about perfectly hidden depression to be published or die trying, I got busy and tried all kinds of things after I'd heard no from those larger houses. I was determined that the next larger house that was interested, my platform was going to be big enough. So I went on Twitter, which I likened to be back in seventh grade at a dance, feeling awkward as hell, and trying to inch your way into a group of kids already standing around and laughing and feeling quite the failure. That's what I felt like on Twitter. Then I tried Periscope, a place to show people sites they'd not seen, and where I quickly learned that my day is really pretty boring for other people. I sit in a chair all day, and then I go home. So I had nowhere other than to show my backyard on Periscope. I did a few episodes on Perfectly Hidden Depression, but there was really nothing to be seen. But probably the most unfulfilling for me was Pinterest. I know a lot of people love it, but I'm not a shopper, and I get very easily overwhelmed and overstimulated by too many choices. And all those posts really just exhausted me. But if my platform was going to grow, wasn't I supposed to be big at all these places? Was my anxiety going to rule and make myself do these unfulfilling things, these things that truly just filled a definition of platform? After a few months of anxiety and doing these empty activities for me, I decided no. That's how I came upon doing a podcast, actually. I love the idea of being back in front of a microphone and using my voice, which I truly missed because I have a past as a professional singer. On a podcast, I'd be able to go deeper into content that I could in my blogs which was quite appealing, and I loved getting to hear from listeners. It was so much more fulfilling. Now, I'm on Pinterest and Twitter. I have someone who actually works for me and likes Pinterest pretty well, and she takes care of listing my work there. Periscope, I no longer do. And Twitter, I tweet occasionally, but have left it mostly alone. All of that to say, yes, the message was important. Yes, I wanted a published book, but I wasn't going to fill up my life with things that brought me no real fulfillment just to build my platform. When I did that, there was very little anxiety and much more of a sense of readiness and joy. That's how you tell the difference. I wasn't avoiding anything or forcing myself to do it. This podcast, Self Work, brings me extra work for sure, but also a lot of joy. So you can move from a life that is filled with filler to actual fulfillment. And you can risk feeling. Just take it one small step at a time.
Our listener email today is a very, very poignant email from a woman who definitely identifies with perfectly hidden depression. Here we go. I'm a 51-year-old, high-functioning, educated, successful corporate exec, spouse, parent with a seemingly perfect life and exterior. I feel shame daily for the blessings in my life and my inability to feel joy. Because I'm a person of action versus complaint, I've spent the last 14 years working on me. That work started with a divorce. Even with that, I was pegged and took pride in having and still have the highest functioning divorce situation, perfect in the ideas of others, just as I need it to be. That divorce, though, unearthed a lifetime of shame and other hidden issues that I had never truly addressed. I could list the countless retreats, sessions, investments, since then believing, this is it, I'm finally healed, and then just days later reverting to my patterns of bulimia, shame, and hiding. I will refrain from sharing all the details of my years of time and financial commitment in healing retreats. Tony Robbins, Brene Brown, several faith-based, plant-based, exercise-based, shamans, regression therapy, neuroplasticity retreat, transcendental meditation, health and life coaches, psychiatrists, outpatient therapy, etc. All work for a week or so, and then I am back to where I was, only this time with even more knowledge and information without action and sustained change. Nothing has stuck. Nothing. This has fueled my shame and hidden emptiness even more. I've been struggling for years with classic, perfectly hidden depression. I found something that resonates with my struggle. I cannot believe you're out there. As I type today, I barely have energy. I do turn it on during the week to work. But I'm slowly dying from my life fueled by a daily pattern of anxiety and control through bulimia that is literally killing me. This pattern slash relief has been my go-to since the age of 14. I could write more, but the biggest question is, are you still practicing and seeing patients? I pray I have found a path to finally healing. With gratitude that someone like you truly understands us. So here's my answer. Hello. I'm honored you've reached out to me, as I can certainly hear the many avenues you've attempted to try and find answers. Yes, I'm still seeing patients. However, unless you live in Arkansas, my license doesn't cover treatment. It also sounds as if your bulimia is overwhelming and becoming more dangerous to you. I would highly recommend going into a residential treatment program for your bulimia. Individual treatment for depression or perfectly hidden depression is likely to initially cause even more anxiety and thus be something that might be contraindicated until you're more emotionally and physically stable. I myself refer often to Laureate in Tulsa, but there are many fine programs in the U.S., and I give her their phone number. Again, I don't have any kind of association with Laureate. That's just a really fine eating disorder program that's located near me. I realize that residential treatment is difficult in and of itself because you have to ask for help and allow that vulnerability to show. But it sounds as if your medical condition is becoming much more dangerous, and you need to address that, perhaps, before addressing anything else. At the least, please talk to your internist or primary care physician about your medical condition and your emotional condition. My book that was published in November does have over 60 exercises within it to act as a guide. But again, your medical stability is just as important now. Good luck to you, and if you're from Arkansas, let me know. Warmly, Dr. Margaret. A lot of you have reached out to see, and I'm very honored by that, to see if I could see you. But even with telehealth, I can only see people who reside or treat people who reside in Arkansas. 
So I'm always very, very honored. I know that some people do it by calling it a consultation or life coaching, but it's actually a very slippery slope. So for your own sake and mine, frankly, there are many fine physicians and therapists who are there locally for you. If they've never heard of Perfectly Hidden Depression, you can certainly take a podcast with you or even my book if you buy it, and you can listen together. Perfectionism has long been known as a problem in mental health. However, usually it's associated with anxiety. So it may be a new idea for your therapist to consider it as a way of hiding depression, but it's not a difficult concept to get, and you can get the help you really need. I want to thank you so much for being here today at Self Work. The full list of countries where at least one publishing house has bought the rights to publish the book. Again, I mentioned three of them earlier. One is in Russia, one's in Turkey, another is the Netherlands, Korea, as I said, and Polish. So those of you who may live in those countries, pretty soon you'll be able to get a copy of Perfectly Hidden Oppression in your own language. I'm so excited about that. Again, Perfectly Hidden Depression is on sale now and is an audiobook for those of you podcast listeners who love to listen and learn. It's much less expensive that way, obviously, too. And you can get that through New Harbinger or on Amazon or actually at audible.com. Thank you so much for those of you who've left ratings and reviews either on Amazon about the book or on Apple Podcasts for this podcast. Again, the number may be growing, but the more I have, the more people will get the message that self-work can be helpful. So thank you. You're my best advertising and marketing. There are lots of ways of reaching out to me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. My email is askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. And I have a closed Facebook group that's very diverse, international, and it's very supportive. It's at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. Again, facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. And what I'm probably going to do there in the next few weeks is I'm going to start running a series of either videos or discussions. I haven't decided the format yet about those exercises in the book because I've realized people need some help and support in approaching those exercises. So I'm going to offer it for free most likely through the Facebook closed group. But again, you can join at any time. Don't forget to answer the questions. I'm not accepting people who don't answer the questions. At least give me an idea of why they want to join. I'm also over on Instagram and doing some things there that I don't do anywhere else. Again, that's very fulfilling for me. (laughs) Instagram can be quite fun, and I can really get to know some of the people who follow me and I follow them. I really like that. Thank you for being here today. Please take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self Work.